This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We're at Wednesday already, Wednesday, January 10th edition of Talkback, which is brought to you by Y West Storage out at the Y on Two Smokes Way. If you're looking for storage, get pricing and availability at 406-510-0590 because of Y West, they're making room for you. Phillips Janitorial offering residential and commercial cleaning and no job too big or too small for your home or your office. Give them a call today, 406 Also brought to you by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it's going to get, and it will get cold this week, Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service has everything you need to make sure your rig starts every time. Located at Palmer and West Broadway. And also brought by Harrington Surgical Supply, where you can feel confident in Harrington Surgical Supplies, discreet and knowledgeable guidance on a multitude of products and medical supplies. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, welcome everybody. It's uh, two hours, two hours, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) with Dr. John Lott, who's already here in the studio with us this morning. But of course, I want to say hello to Mr. Nick. Oh, Mr. Nick, how you doing? Good, good morning. Nick Christensen is over there producing TalkBack and taking your phone calls. And Dr. John Lott from the Crime Prevention Research Center is joining us here. How are you, sir? Doing doing great. Good to be with you guys on this uh, beautiful morning. Now, you are, uh, uh, you haven't done a lot of traveling uh, over the holiday period, obviously. Right. So, uh, well, what, are you, what are you looking forward to? I'm sure you've got uh, appointments all over the place. Yeah, I guess uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm supposed to give some lectures at Lake Forest College and then Florida State. Um, the big trips that I have coming up, uh, I'm supposed to go to, in May, to Argentina and Chile and possibly Paraguay to give talks. Uh, now, I'm, I'm really interested. When you go to these countries, right. uh, uh, obviously, the English is not their native language. No. So so are, are you a fluent Spanish speaker? I am not. Okay. I can, and I don't speak Portuguese when I go to Brazil. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's a, these translators are absolutely amazing. You know, you think you have to s- stop after every sentence right. and give them a chance. But in fact... Uh, they speak, the translators do it simultaneously as so, you talk. So, so this is not AI. This is, this are, these are real these people. These are real people. I mean, I, I can't even begin to comprehend how they can do it. But, you know, I can just talk like I'm talking to you, and they simultaneously translate it. So, and they do a pretty good job, a lot of them, fortunately. So, uh, um, and, and... So what happens is I'm given a set of ear, uh, headphones, right? And uh, when I speak, the whole audience is wearing headphones, and they hear they hear it coming out in Spanish what I'm saying, and then uh, and then when somebody else is speaking, like there's a question from the audience, I put on my headphones and I get the English translation of what they're saying. Wow! So. And uh, it's, I don't know, I don't know how their brain is wired in such a way. All I can tell you is I grew up in Miami, Florida. Uh, half my, half my uh, high school class was Cuban, uh, and I picked up hardly any Spanish. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and what little Spanish I know, I've forgotten decades ago. Well, I will so, tell you, in the three years of high school Spanish <clears throat> I took at uh, Helena High School, right, uh-huh. the... Uh, well, well, anyway, Helena High School. Uh, the only phrase I really remember is, ¿Dónde está el baño? 
Okay. Was, where, where's the bathroom? All right. <laughs> so, well, that's a useful one to know. <laughs> anyway. Gracias and stuff, probably are useful too. You bet. To, to let them know. So what, where else will you be heading? And then in August, uh, I'm supposed to go to Brazil and to Ecuador uh, to give talks. But uh, in Argentina, it's going to be interesting because the, um, they have a new president down there. Uh, and he's shaking things up. Uh, he wants to change the gun control laws that they have there. So I'm going to be talking. I'm supposed to be meeting with the vice president for the country. And uh, meeting with, uh, I may be testifying before uh, uh, their Congress. And um, uh, and Chile is uh, moving towards adopting a new constitution down there. And so people want me there to go and talk about what they should have in their constitution with regard to, uh, you know, people being able to protect themselves. I'll tell you what, we're up against our first break. I want to do a deep dive into that because... When, when you have the opportunity to talk, at, at basically talking to the founders uh, of, of, a new, of a new government, right. uh, with, with a new style of government, with, especially with a democracy, and they're having a constitution and the right to keep and bear arms being part of our most precious First Amendment rights. So anyway, we'll, we'll come back and talk about that. By the way, the phone lines are open. If you have a question or comment for Dr. John Lott, you give us a call right now. He'll be with us all the way until 10 o'clock this morning. 721-1290-1800-568-5309. Or, of course, you can uh, use the KGVO app. We'll be back with more right after this. Brought to you by Diggit X. Dennis Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. More snow showers Wednesday, but valley accumulations will remain light. Possible heavy snow in the passes. The better shot of snow arrives Thursday with a 90% chance. Storm totals will vary by location, but 2 to 4 inches in the valleys expected. More than 6 inches in the Sealy Swan, Upper Blackfoot, Lower Clark Fork, and the Flathead. Arctic cold will push across the divide, plunging temperatures to single digits and below zero with colder wind chills and blowing snow, so be prepared. Hey, we're back. This is Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Dr. John Lott joining us here in the studio this morning at the Crime Prevention Research Center. And uh, he is here to answer your questions. So uh, if you want to get on it, give us a call. We'd love to, we'd love to have you. Again, your, your travels are taking you uh, down south into, into Central and South America. Right. Well, there's a lot of changes going on there. They have the new president in Argentina who's been eliminating all sorts of regulations and cutting agencies and uh, dramatically reforming things. And one of the things he wants to do is to let uh, civilians be able to go and carry uh, concealed handguns for protection when the police can't be there. Uh, you know, Brazil's kind of gone the opposite way. We've talked about that. Uh, uh, Bolsonaro had loosened things up, had increased uh, the number of people licensed to own guns by over 600%. Wow. And Lula um, has banned the sale of guns, banned the sale of ammunition, and is taking away the licenses that a lot of people had there. And uh, 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 Chile uh, has been relatively open in terms of gun ownership, but the uh, the current president there is a socialist, and he tried to put through constitutional stuff to restrict it. And so... He lost um, kind of the more conservative parties than won the uh, uh, elections down there. And they're uh, having a chance to rewrite the Constitution in a way that they, they're more sympathetic to. So, yeah. yeah. So, 
Anyway, we'll kind of help talk to people. Uh, Ecuador had a presidential election last year, too, had a conservative win there, and uh, uh, they had huge crime problems in Ecuador because of the uh, drug gangs down there. And so uh, uh, this last August, I was down there uh, talking to police and to politicians about what they could do with regard to the drug gang situation, and I'm supposed to be going back to talk more about it this coming uh, in August. Well, how, how are you received? Uh, is it is it uh, uh, by the governmental structures there? Are you are you uh, uh, welcomed back, or are, is there opposition when you speak that sort of thing? I, it's just like any place else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have uh, uh, you know policing policies and gun ownership are very polarizing uh, issues uh, in many places. And uh, um, I have to say, generally, uh, when I've talked to police, uh, they're usually fairly sympathetic, uh, just like police are here in the United States. They, they know that they're important in stopping crime, but they also know that they virtually always arrive on the crime scene after the crimes occurred. And uh, uh they're particularly the rank and file police officers, the ones who are at the top. It can vary based on kind of what political parties in charge. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's been one thing that's been very striking to me, how kind of the views of rank and file police officers here in the United States are similar to ones in other countries. I would imagine so, because uh, as you'd mentioned, uh, the, the law enforcement gets there after the event. Right. And so when the event is over, people are either shot or dead, and uh, the persons who had been assaulted or killed uh, had no opportunity to defend themselves. Right. So, but you have a lot of politicians like Lula, for example, who only trust the government to be able to go and have guns. So it's kind of similar discussion here. So, but, uh, but South America uh, is much more in flux in the last couple of years in terms of kind of their views on gun ownership uh, than they have been in the past. So uh, I've had... I guess it's four of my books now translated into Spanish. Great. And uh, had uh, several of them translated in Portuguese for Brazil. So uh, anyway, so. Uh, well, book, book, book sales are book sales. Yeah, with, right. Whether it's in pesos or dollars, right? Right. <laughs> so. All right. Well, we're up against another break. Dr. John Lott joining us here in studio this morning, the Crime Prevention Research Center, which, of course, is located right here in Missoula. Uh, if you have a question or a comment for Dr. Lott, he is here specifically to do just that. So we're going to come right back and talk with Brad. Uh, with He was on the phone with us right after this timeout. There's a no word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay. 
especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Are you looking for more in this world? Are you ready for something bigger? Then we are looking for you. The big-hearted, the bold, the messy and the gutsy. The teachers, the growers, the builders. The skilled, the sharers, the change makers. We need you. We are the Peace Corps. In more than 60 countries, we go all in and all out. We are volunteers, partners, communities, working together, living together. Bringing our experience, passion, and joy to building a better world together. From tackling climate change in Mexico to keeping kids healthy in Kenya. From sustainable farming in the Philippines to education in Kosovo. We learn more, give more, share freely, and serve boldly. Are you ready to tackle the tough stuff? To go the distance to make a difference? Then we have a place where you belong. Join us at PeaceCorps.gov. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Glad to have you along. It's uh, Talk Back. I'm Peter Christian. Nick Christensen over there producing Talk Back. Taking your phone calls. Dr. John Lott is our guest here in the studio. Uh, founder and president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Let's get Brad on the line. Brad, good morning. You're on with Dr. Lott. Go ahead, please. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Listen, I just want to add a couple of uh, questions here for Dr. Lott there. First off, you know, he'll talk about uh, serial numbers on firearms, rarely uh, useful in solving crimes, but the ATF Tracing Center in Virginia does 400,000 traceable cuts a year. I just don't think it's all just a giant waste of time. And second, with his uh, opposition of safe storage laws. You know, there was a presidential candidate once who was handling a firearm as a child that went off and killed his neighbor. That was Adelaide Stevenson. And like this Iowa tragedy too, last week, it's all just as true back then as it is now how important it is for people to lock up their guns. Thank you. Okay, thanks for the call. Right. Well, you know, I have no problem with people locking up their guns sometimes. I just think it's wrong to have uh, these one-size-fit-all rules that if you lock up your guns uh, and it makes it more difficult for people to be able to access them. If you live in an urban area where it's high crime, it may not make much sense to go and lock up your guns. You know, I hear public service ads on KGVO here every once in a while, uh, which I, I... which just drive me crazy because they'll have some veteran talking about the fact that uh, he locks up his guns because veterans commit suicide at relatively high rates. And, you know, the question I have is, how does locking up your own guns stop you from committing suicide if you're going to do it? And also the question becomes, are there other ways for somebody to commit suicide? There are places around the world that have banned uh either all guns or all handguns. And you may see a drop in firearm suicides, but the main issue to me is what happens to total suicides. And you don't see any statistically significant changes in total suicides. And it seems to me that's really what you should focus on is what happens to total suicides. Uh, With regard to the tracing, yeah, the the government does a lot of tracing. We've had tracing uh, in many states, uh, uh, New York, for example, spent $45 million on the tracing system that they had for 15 years. 
Uh, also had ballistic fingerprinting there. Maryland had a similar type of system. Uh, both of those states, despite being very strong gun owner, gun control states, uh, got rid of the tracing systems that they had there because they couldn't point to one single crime that they've been able to solve as a result of the tracing that they have there. Um, you know, uh, gun control advocates were saying, well, we just need more time. Fifteen years isn't long enough. You have to have a longer period of time. And But even, I mean, that wasn't a convincing argument for uh, for even the very strong gun control legislatures there. They had other things that they could use the money for. Um, I testified in Hawaii a while ago. Uh, Hawaii's had registration and licensing of guns since uh, 1960. Uh, before I went there, I, uh, I, I only go testify when I'm invited by state legislators. And I, I, I was told that the Honolulu police chief was going to be testifying the other side. So I told the legislators who were inviting me to tell the police chief in advance that they had two questions for him. One question was, how many crimes had they been able to solve as a result of registration and licensing? And the second question was, how much did it cost to run the program? And uh, when the police chief went, because th- I didn't want him to be sandbagged, and I didn't want him to say he didn't know. I wanted yeah. him to have time to go and investigate uh, the answer before. And I pretty much knew what he was going to say, uh, at least on the number of crimes. And he got in there, and he said he couldn't find one single crime that they had been able to solve as a result of it. And and when they asked him, well, how much does it cost? He said he didn't have a dollar figure, but he estimated it took about fifth. This is just for Honolulu. 50,000 hours worth of police time each year to go and run the registration licensing program. And you could just feel the air go out of the room at that point because, you know, if they could say, well, we'd solve a thousand crimes or a hundred crimes or 12 crimes or three crimes or something, then there at least would be some trade off. But if you have 50,000 hours worth of police time, that we know could go to things that work. I mean, police do lots of very valuable things that are there. And to go and take it from things, you know, that work and put it into licensing and registration, you know, you really have to ask yourself, uh, uh, you know, what you could have spent it on and how many crimes you could have solved and how many lives you could have saved. You bet. Let's, uh, we, we have Lynn waiting to visit with you. Lynn, good morning. You're on with Dr. John Lott. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to say real quick in regards to the last caller, you know, a couple of points here. Um, One, you know, it's not my job as a gun owner to prevent other people from doing bad things. So I should not have to lock up my possessions to stop other people, Um, whether that's suicide or, or hurting somebody else. That's not my job to prevent that period. And the state has no business um, forcing me to do that. And then two, um, with regards to serialization, um, especially particularly now with 3D printing of guns, that's dead. It's a moot point. You've always been able to make firearms at home with no serial number. That's how it's always been. That's how it always will be. So it is It is a waste of time. It's a waste of money. That's right. it. Well, thanks. I don't make rights-type arguments to me, and I, you know, I appreciate you making those, uh, particularly on the first point. But... You know, to me, the issue is what saves people's lives and what makes them safer. And, uh, 
you know, you often hear concerns about things like, and, and the previous caller had brought up a, a child uh, firing a gun and what have you. You know, those are horrible situations. If you look at the data uh, from the Centers for Disease Control over the last decade, you're usually talking about something for children under age 10, about 30-some who die from accidental gun deaths. Uh, you know, it would be better if it was zero rather than 30. But when you br- even break those down, uh, about two-thirds of those are gunshots fired by adult males, usually in their mid to late 20s, who have criminal records, who are drug addicts or alcoholics. And, you know, going and passing a gun lock law is not going to stop an adult male uh, who's probably illegal for them to own a gun to begin with, given their criminal history, to go and lock up their gun. Even if they do lock it up, it's not going to stop them from accessing it and and accidentally firing it. So when you you look at the data, you find that accidental gun deaths involving kids – uh, where a child fires a gun is actually even slightly rarer than children dying from lightning strikes. Now, with regard to lightning strikes, I'm not going to tell a child to go walk in an open field with an umbrella when there's a lot of lightning that's going on, okay? You have certain common sense that are there, and I agree that there's common sense that you try to instill in kids with regard to the firearms uh, that are there. But I would say is that uh, over half of American households own a gun. And, uh, uh, you know, the rate of accidental deaths, you know, I, when I go and I talk to people, I say, okay, if half the f- households in the United States own guns and households with kids are even more likely to own guns than households that aren't, uh, what do you think the number of kids under, let's say, 10 who die from accidental gunshots? And you get numbers like are in the thousands from people. Uh, and, you know, they're shocked to find uh, what the numbers actually are uh, in terms of accidental gun deaths. And so... What, what, uh, are, what are they? Well, I just had said a minute ago, like yeah. you, it, over the last decade, it's usually in the 30s. Okay. And, uh, and so, um, you know, which is, if I were to go and tell you, you know, set up whatever system you want... Okay, uh, for gun ownership, if you have your perfect system, how many accidental gun deaths do you think they're going to be for children under 10? And they're probably going to pick a number that's higher than what we actually see anyway that's there. And so, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's as, as, as significant of a problem as a lot of people do. And I think you have to realize that there are costs. Research that I've done uh, and others indicate that when you mandate that people have to lock up their guns, uh, you see a drop in gun ownership. Uh, You also see criminals uh, becoming emboldened to attack people in their homes, and they're more successful in committing the crime. So I'll give you a simple example. There's something called hot burglaries. These are burglaries that occur while the residents are in the house. In the United States, we we have data for lots of different countries. Just compare the United States with the UK. The burglary rate in the UK is about twice the burglary rate in the United States. 60% of those burglaries occur while the residents are at home, so-called hot burglaries. In the United States, it's about 13%. Why the difference? Well, 
there's surveys that have done of burglars and uh, American burglars spend about twice as long casing a home before they break in compared to their British counterparts. When they're asked why they spend so much time, they say they're worried about getting shot. The ones in the UK aren't worried about getting shot. And so they don't, uh, you know, and also burglaries in the United States occur during the day when people are less likely to be home. The burglaries that occur in the UK occur in the evening and at night because they don't care whether people are at home. With that, we're going to take a quick break. 721-1290 is our number. Dr. John Lott here in the studio this morning answering your questions about gun ownership, all sorts of, uh, of, uh, of uh, First Amendment uh, freedoms like the ability to keep and bear arms. We're going to come right back after this quick timeout. Dennis Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. More snow showers Wednesday, but valley accumulations will remain light. Possible heavy snow in the passes. The better shot of snow arrives Thursday with a 90% chance. Storm totals will vary by location, but 2 to 4 inches in the valleys expected. More than 6 inches in the Sealy Swan, Upper Blackfoot, Lower Clark Fork, and the Flathead. Arctic cold will push across the divide, plunging temperatures to single digits and below zero with colder wind chills and blowing snow, so be prepared. Okay, welcome back to Talk Back 721-1290 is our number. Dr. John Lott joining us here in the studio this morning. Paul has been waiting through the break. Hey, Paul, good morning. You're on with Dr. Lott. Go ahead, please. Good morning, gentlemen. So I, I've been in the Missoula area anyway. I, I've been in the, the gun and outdoor industry for 30 years. And I am definitely one not to believe in gun registration. But the ATF already has a process they know exactly where every firearm ends up. And over the years, you know, I've dealt with ATF, and they do those traces. You know, sometimes you'll do one a month, sometimes you'll do a 10 a month, but they know where those firearms end up um, as far as public or retail sales go. They know where that firearm's last destination was to find out who the purchaser was. Well, they, they can often find out you know, what store it came from originally, what licensed dealer it came from. They may not be able to go and find kind of the whole chain of ownership between its final use and uh, and when it was sold. But that's a lot different than going and saying that it helps you solve a crime. So, for example, uh, you know, in theory, uh, if a gun's left at a crime scene and it's registered to the person who committed the crime... You can go and trace it back and, and arrest the person. The problem is is that crime guns are almost never left at the crime scene, okay? Uh, in the few times that they are left at the crime scene, uh, they're not registered to somebody. Uh, and they're usually left there because uh, the criminal's either been wounded or, or killed, so you've kind of caught them anyway. Uh, and the once or twice that they are registered uh, in places that have had registration— uh, they're not registered to the person who committed the crime. And so, uh, you know, what, what the tracing does is to go and maybe find out maybe if the gun was sold illegally to begin with. But a lot of it's just paperwork, you know, because, you know, despite kind of the rhetoric that comes out of the Biden administration, for example, you know, you don't have rogue gun dealers selling guns out of the back of their store to criminals. Now, that doesn't mean that, Criminals don't end up using the gun, but, you know, it's not really obvious to me. And when I worked in the Department of Justice and I was talking to people, it's not really obvious to most people exactly what's accomplished by going and finding what store it came from. Now, 
one thing that the Biden administration's done is uh, they've taken uh, literally uh, almost a billion transactions. This was as of about a year and a half ago uh, and computerized them uh, going back decades. Uh, uh, as you would know, I guess, uh, uh, licensed dealers have been required to keep records for 20 years. Uh, and when they go out of business, they've turned over their records to the ATF. The ATF has, has kept those records and under the Biden administration has computerized them. Uh, they've also reached out to firearm dealers to try to get current records that they have. And many dealers have turned over their records uh, to the ATF, uh, kind of otherwise of the threat that their lives would be made more difficult in other ways. And so, uh, and one of the reasons why the Biden administration has been pushing for uh, universal background checks is to try to get a more complete uh, listing of who owns the guns that are there. So they want to get all private transfers of guns. Um, but, uh, you know, t technically, uh, the law forbids the government from keeping yeah, a registry. Uh, the Biden administration has said, well, we're not really breaking the law because even though we put together this national registry, we haven't used it. So as long as the, the, from their reading, as long as they haven't actually used uh, this big computerized database, it's all right for them to put it together. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, and... and I it does, and, it's, and I've kind of seen that. And also, you know, the one thing, you know, I, I, I've only dealt with one ATF audit ever, but the one thing that I have noticed on those audits, they now have to, th those agents are required to go through all your records that you keep on file for those 20 years. Um, they go back five years and count how many concealed weapons permit transactions you have done compared to your total sales in that time frame as well yeah interesting hey gentlemen we're up against a break thank you for your call paul and we'll continue to address that if you'd like when we sure. come back and larry's also waiting to visit with dr john lott phone lines are open 721-1290 is our number dr lott of course the president and founder of the crime prevention research center give us a call 721-1290 we'll be right back it's obvious. To talk back, 721-1290 is our number. Dr. John Lott is here with us in the studio from the Crime Prevention Research Center. He's the president and founder of the, uh, the Crime Prevention Research Center. Of course, you've got a website, crime, uh, crimeresearch.org. That's right. Right. All right. Let's, so let me oh, yes. I just please finish up. Uh, I mean, the caller uh, was bringing up this issue about uh, the government keeping track of who owned the guns and what have you. And the... The Biden administration has adopted this zero tolerance policy where if a firearms dealer has made any paperwork mistake, no matter how trivial, no matter how inconsequential, uh, they'll go back 15, 16, 17 years. And if they find a paperwork mistake, they'll put them out of business, even one paperwork mistake. Uh, I was a couple months ago now, I was reading a case down from uh, Texas where uh, – a man who had dyslexia, uh, apparently 15 and 16 years ago, he had made transposed two letters in uh, on a form, uh, two letter, uh, uh, one word in each form was messed up. The B Obama administration, which was hardly anybody who was sympathetic to gun owners, uh, had gone and kind of raked the guy over the coals, but said, you know, there's no harm really here. They'd find him. And they closed the books. 
Well, the Biden administration went back, looked at his books over the last 15 years, couldn't find anything that he's done, not one other paperwork mistake. And so they reopened those two cases from 15 and 16 years ago and used those to put him out of business, to take away his license. So they've literally uh, put thousands uh, you know, by the middle of last year, it was like, I don't know, it was several thousand. So God only knows how many they put out of business now, uh, firearms dealers across the country. And, uh, uh, and they've been doing things like if you, if they find that guns that you've sold have gone, been used by criminals, they take that as evidence that you're doing something wrong. And, you know, it's, uh, they're just one of many things that the Biden administration is doing to make it difficult for people to own guns. They're also uh, putting pressure on financial institutions not to go and do business with people in the firearms industry. I mean, go try running a business if uh, banks won't handle your checks or if they won't handle the credit cards for your customers. Are there workarounds that you can do? Yeah, there are workarounds, but those are much more costly to go and do, and it raises their costs and also helps drive uh, people out of business. All right, let's get uh, Larry on the line. Larry, thanks for holding. You're on with Dr. Lott. Go ahead, please, sir. Good morning. On that theme that uh, Dr. Lott just talked about, I'm I'm an NRA member, and uh, I'm just wondering, with all these efforts by the Biden administration or the um, and I'm sure they use your information in trying to protect our Second Amendment rights. But do you see a diminishment in the lobbying efforts at the federal level to protect our gun rights? Or is it kind of out of Congress's hands because of all the stuff that the administration is doing to try to take away our rights? And uh should the some of the lobbying efforts by gun right groups and individuals be focused at the state level uh, as opposed to the the uh, federal level because i think that uh, the relentless attack of these anti-gun groups just seems to continue and uh, it seems to find another route if one route is blocked and i'd just like to get your comments on that Right. Well, I mean, uh, you have people in the House who are, are have very strong. I've probably written about 19 op-eds with Thomas Massey from uh, Kentucky, uh, who's a pretty well-known congressman on, on gun issues. Uh, the problem is, well, he, he could, Thomas, uh, who's on the Rules Committee in the House, he can try to put on amendments that would prevent uh, the Biden administration from spending money on things like putting together their national gun registry that they have. Uh, but, you know, you have to get the Senate to agree and the Democrats control the Senate. Uh, you have uh, the Senate and it's in charge of who gets appointed to run things like the ATF. And unfortunately, people like John Tester have voted for all the nominees that uh, Biden's put up on those things. The guy who who at the ATF, who's having this zero tolerance policy that we're talking about was approved by John Tester um, and the and the various left wing uh, judges across the country uh, who are making uh, life difficult for gun owners and California and many other places uh, have been voted on through the Senate. So, you know, the House can only do so much, you know, as uh, and 
you know, it's, there's not really much lobbying that uh, people on your side of the issue can go and do with the Biden administration. With regard to the yeah. states, uh, uh, you know, it varies on the states that you have there. Uh, one of the problems is uh, the NRA has been very tight on money over the last few years. Uh, I when I, I last year I testified I think in thirteen state legislatures, and uh, you know half the time there's no NRA representative uh, in the states that are there, mm-hmm. and in yeah. some of the states like Pennsylvania they say they haven't seen anybody for years from the NRA lobbying. Wow. Well, thank you, and uh, keep up the efforts, because I think uh, it's very important to our Second Amendment rights, the work that you're doing. So, thank thank you. Larry, thanks for the call. With that, we're up against a break. Phone lines are clear if you have a question for Dr. John Lott. He's here with us all the way till 10 o'clock this morning. So if you've been listening and uh, have formulated a question or or a comment, give us a call at 721-1290. We're coming right back after this. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Of course, Dr. John Lott joining us here in the studio. And we have Jeff waiting patiently on the line. Jeff, good morning. Uh, What's on your mind, sir? Hey, good morning. Uh, I heard a Smith & Wesson commercial while I was on hold. That was uh, (laughs) kind of serendipitous. There you go. Um, Thanks for being on, John. Uh, You are a uh, national treasure, and we're privileged to have you in our backyard. So. Well, it's, uh, it's lovely being here. I great. I love being here. Yeah. Um, two comments, I guess. When you were talking about the Honolulu police chief and you mentioned 50,000 hours, I believe. Right. I just did some uh, quick back-of-the-envelope math, and that works out to about 25 people because it's about 2,000 hours a person, full-time employee. And looking at just kind of average salaries, for the Honolulu Area Police Force, I believe, would be about $4 million that they spend. Each so year. they're taking 25 people off the streets right. and spending about $4 million on something that you said has not controlled or resulted in a single crime being solved right. or prevented. Yeah, I mean, there's 25 uh, police officers. We know that there are things that they could do which would be useful in protecting people, make, you know, arresting people, criminals making it riskier for criminals to commit crime and hopefully deterring some crime. Yeah, so, I mean, that's just uh, fiscally. If if for no other reason you go, why are we doing something that doesn't work and spending $4 million on it? Well, they're doing what they think it's good is that it makes it more difficult, more costly for people to own guns. And I think that's ultimately, I'll give you another example. You look at these universal background checks, these background checks on the private transfers of guns. Uh, there are like 20 states that have this now. Uh, almost all of them have a provision that the background check is on each gun that's transferred. So uh, let's say you and I lived in California or lived in D.C. or one of these other places that have it. And I'm going to go and give you four guns. You think it's just one person giving one other person four guns. So shouldn't it just be one background check since the same person's getting all the guns? But no, they require a separate background check that you have to pay separately for each gun that's transferred there. So if you're in Washington, D.C., where it costs $125 to do a transfer of, uh, of a private transfer of a gun, 
It's going to cost $500 to go and do that. Now, somebody give me a benign explanation for why you, you set that up that, that way other than just to try to make it as costly as you can for people to be able to go and obtain a gun. Uh, it's pretty clear when you – I mean, that's just one example. Uh, it, you know, you look at concealed carry permits across different states, the cost of obtaining one. Uh, in Illinois, you have uh, 4% of the adult population with a concealed carry permit. In neighboring Indiana, you have over 23%. Why the difference? In Illinois, it costs over $400 to go through the process to get a concealed carry permit uh, for the training and for the cost of the permit. In Indiana, it's zero. You make it more costly, people go and get fewer permits. It also changes the mix of people who go and get it. In Illinois, it's primarily wealthy individuals who live in the suburbs. Well, that's great that the wealthy people who live in the suburbs are able to protect themselves, but they're not the ones who are the most likely victims of violent crime. If my research convinces me of anything, the people who benefit the most from having guns for protection are the ones who are most likely victims of violent crime, poor blacks who live in high-crime urban areas. In Indiana, you see zip codes which have are lower income and are heavily minority have a lot more permits that are there. But So the point is, is that there are just many different ways, not just the licensing and registration that you're talking about in Hawaii, uh, but many different fees and regulations that when I look at them, the one common feature is that they very frequently just make it more costly for law-abiding citizens to be able to go and defend themselves. Yeah, and regarding an earlier call, too, um, the, the talk about uh, locking up uh, weapons, um, I'm a firm believer in controlling access, and that doesn't necessarily mean locking up. I mean, I have a, a gun I carry, and uh, I have control of that gun at all times. We have a special needs uh, teenager in the house, and there's no way that I would uh, allow her to have access to it. So there are other guns that are locked up, loaded. I have rifles that are unloaded, but the ammunition for all those is locked up. So um, because I... Don't think I need a rifle on a quick bit on a on a very quick basis. Handguns are are pretty much what I what I think I would need, um, and I have access to those. Uh, hey Jeff. So I think the the issue is not lock, necessarily locking your guns up, although gun safes I think are useful. It's controlling access. You know, don't let young kids, uh, folks who are. Uh, who are uh, Jeff, maybe undergoing the mental health issue. I had a Jeff, 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 we're running into a hard break here, so we're going to have to let you go for this hour, okay? Thanks, thanks for the call. We're going to come right back after the top of the hour with Dr. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO. Missoula's News and Weather Station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of Talk Back is underway with this Wednesday, January 10th, brought to you this morning by Harrington Surgical Supply, where their mission remains the same, to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. Also brought to you by Y West Storage out at the Y on Two Smokes Way. Give them a call, 406-510-0590, to find out what they have available for you. Y West Storage, they're making room for you. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts, no matter how cold it's going to get, they have everything 
everything you need to help your rig start every time. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service at Palmer and West Broadway. And also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial Residential and Commercial Cleaning, their specialties. And no job too big or small for the professionals at Phillips where your satisfaction is guaranteed. Call 406-260-6617. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, welcome back to hour number two. This is TalkBack for this uh, Wednesday, January 10th. Dr. John Lott is joining us here in the studio this morning. President and founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center. And uh, first of all, good to have you back. Well, it's great being here. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, we were right in the middle of a, of a conversation with Jeff. Was there anything else you wanted to say? Because we had to cut him off, unfortunately. Uh, well, I mean, I basically agree with them that you don't need to lock up your guns in order to make sure they're controlled. I, you know, I have five kids and uh, we didn't lock up our guns. We had conversations with the kids. They knew about gun safety rules and things like that. And, you know, I, it's not something that uh, we had any problems with. And um, and I think the vast majority of people in the country, you know, if you, you know, I can understand some people locking up their guns for reasons that uh, Jeff was giving, but, uh, you know, there are other places where I just don't think it makes sense for people to do that. I was uh, just thinking that um, I was casting forward in my mind maybe 25, 50 years from now uh, in the United States. Do you see um, which direction is the wind blowing if we were to take the current conditions in 25 or 50 years? Would we still have a a Second Amendment? Well, I think a lot's going to depend upon the elections this year. you know, at the end of this year, Democrats are going to control about two-thirds of the circuit and district court judges in the country. Um, at the end of the next uh, presidential term, Clarence Thomas will be 80. Sam Alito will be 78. You lose one or both of them, you're going to have a very different Supreme Court uh, and things like the Second Amendment issues. And, uh, and whoever's president's going to be replacing them. Uh, you look across the country, you have places like California, which just passed uh, um, gun control laws uh, with regard to concealed carry, essentially listing 26 places that you're not allowed to go and carry a gun, uh, you know, basically making it so you can carry a gun in your front yard, pretty much, and that is going to be about it. Uh, uh, you had uh, a, a district court judge uh, uh, put an injunction to stop those rules from going into effect, but then the Ninth Circuit uh, put them back in effect. Uh, now you've had another panel that's uh, uh, that's put the injunction back in, but you can pretty much guess how the judges are going to rule based on who appointed them. The Democratic judges support those restrictions, which would effectively prevent anybody from carrying concealed, uh, and the Republican nominees uh, go the other way. And so, um, you know, if you have two-thirds of the judges this time and probably near 80% if you have a Democrat win uh, the presidency the next time, that's going to determine a lot in who controls the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, I think those things are going to matter a lot. Well, and this is something that Nick and I uh, talk about all the time, and that is that elections mean something. They're, They're important. Right. Uh, and, and the more we uh, leave it to somebody else, oh, I'm too busy, I don't have time to study the issues, all that sort of thing, the more, unfortunately, we find ourselves in a position that you're describing, 
where um, where people are getting into office who have the power to make appointments to, especially in the judgeships, to decide how we are going to live our lives on an everyday basis, and it's either going to be better or it's going to be worse. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your perspective whether you think it's good or bad how they're going to be going, but it's going to it's going to make a huge difference. And it, so you have two things that are going on. One is uh, the judges, uh, but the other thing is uh, who's running things like the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Uh, Dettelbach there, uh, as we were talking about before, with the zero tolerance policy with regard to other things, you know, he's putting thousands, literally thousands of gun dealers out of business. And, uh, you know, who's going to be president next time and who controls the Senate is going to determine, uh, you know, who you're going to have running those types of uh, entities within the government. And I have to say, uh, we really have to clean up a lot of the government there. I worked in the Department of Justice up until January 2021, and I've gotten to the point where I don't even trust a lot of the data that the FBI puts out. Uh, you know, you have huge percentages of police departments around the country, which the Biden administration isn't making them turn in their crime data. Uh, you have real problems. We've talked before about things like their active shooting reports or in terms of hate crimes. Uh, you know, they're letting too much politics get involved in terms of the data that the government's putting out. And who controls the data controls a lot of the debate that's going on. And so, uh, you know, if you want to have accurate data, we're going to have to change radically who's working in the FBI and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And that all begins with elections. Exactly. You bet. And with that, we're up against a break. All of our phone lines are open, by the way, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. Dr. John Lott joining us at the Crime Prevention Research Center located right here in Missoula. And uh, we'd love to have your phone calls or if you all you can do is text uh, you can uh, you can text. Uh, actually, you can use our KGVO app. That's much better. Just uh, go download the KGVO app, hit the message us button, and uh, send us a message. We'll pass that along to uh, to Doctor Lot. Coming back right after this. You want the best. Dennis Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. More snow showers Wednesday, but valley accumulations will remain light. Possible heavy snow in the passes. The better shot of snow arrives Thursday with a 90% chance. Storm totals will vary by location, but 2 to 4 inches in the valleys expected. More than 6 inches in the Sealy Swan, Upper Blackfoot, Lower Clark Fork, and the Flathead. Arctic cold will push across the divide, plunging temperatures to single digits and below zero with colder wind chills and blowing snow, so be prepared. Hey, we're back. Whoops. There we go. It's better with the microphone on. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Glad to have you along this morning. Uh, our phone lines are open, by the way. If you have a question for Dr. John Lott, that's why he's here to answer your questions this morning uh, at 721-1290 uh, or 1-800-568-5309. And we're just kind of looking into uh, the future, if you will. And so what can we do right now uh, if we are concerned about our First Amendment rights or Second Amendment rights or any of our rights, uh, what, what are the things that we should be doing as just regular old Missoula citizens? Well, I guess speak out, you know, kind of educate people. But uh, as you say, the elections matter. And so people have to decide what type of country uh, they want to live in. Uh, you know, I don't think Montana is going to be kind of the pivotal state as far as who <laughs> wins the presidency. Yeah. 
But uh, it is a pivotal state, possibly in terms of who controls the Senate. And that's going to determine what types of judges and what types of people you're going to be having uh, running the different government agencies. All right. We do have uh, Christine waiting to visit with you. Christine, good morning. You're on with Dr. John Lott. Go ahead, please. Good morning, you guys. Hey, uh, I morning. just have a comment about, about locking these uh, weapons up for protection. I had to leave a horrible domestic violence situation with my little boy. He was probably about five years old by this time, six. And we were staying in a rough part in Seattle. And I had um, some drug addicts, I'm sure, a couple knock on my door. I had a loaded... 9mm ready to go in um, a drawer there in the front room. Um, you know, I tried to educate my son as much as I could about what to do, what not to do, why I have it, blah, blah, blah. And, um, boy, these people, they I don't know what, I do fear that Mac, me and my son's life was in, in danger. Right. And, you know, I could not even get to that weapon. It was there ready to go, and I couldn't get to it. It took me to just all of a sudden act like um, a psycho mom. It's mama bear coming out to get them back out of my house and out of that door so I could lock that door. So there is times, you know, you, you, you can have your weapon ready to go and you might not even get to it. But locking it up to me is just as good as taking them away. You were not going to have, I am still single. I live in the woods and, um, you cannot lock up your weapons and protect yourself. There's got to be some more education or some more responsibility, maybe on the owner part. But, you know, you might as well take them away if they're going to try to make us lock them up. Well, I understand exactly what you're saying. I mean, it sounds like that was a very scary situation that you had there. And, you know, if you follow the advice that gun control advocates make where they tell people to both lock up their guns and lock up their ammunition and store them separately. Uh, you can just imagine, uh, you know, if one actually follows that advice. I mean, you're talking about even when it's not locked up, how difficult it can be sometimes to quickly access it. If you add those things on where you have to go and uh, retrieve an ammunition from a separate place and, and then load the gun, you know, it may be much too late for somebody to go and protect themselves at that time. So... Um, uh, you know, and as I was talking about the data earlier, you know, a lot of the fears that people have about guns in the home are tremendously exaggerated. And the thing is, uh, it's not just exaggerating the, the costs that are there. People, uh, don't realize that criminals respond to these things, that if you make it so that people aren't able to go and defend themselves, Criminals are more likely to attack people in their home, and they're more successful in attacking them. Absolutely. And another very powerful comment I'd like to make for all these female listeners out there or any of these male new gun owners, you think you want to go buy a gun and you want to get protection. It's not all about that. You need training. I've been through, I've been in, I have guns around guns my whole life. I'm 58 years old. But, uh, um, I, you know, I did have to pull that one time and I, for an intruder in that same horrible area, breaking in the back window to crawl in, I thought I Jeez. was ready. Until it came time to pull that weapon, I was scared to death. My body went into some kind of weird trauma, um, you know, and I kept it in my hands and I did aim it at the intruder. 
But I was not ready as much as I thought I was. Since then, I've been through some education courses. In real-life scenarios, they make it out in these two-day courses in St. Regis, Montana. And I'll tell you, I am ready. But if you think you're just going to go buy a gun for protection and you don't have training with that and you're not familiar with that, um, then you you definitely need to think about what you're doing because you can't just buy one and be ready. I firmly believe that. Right. No, I mean, training is important. You bring up many issues that are there. Uh, what I'll say is uh, about 95% of the time that people use guns defensively, simply brandishing the gun, you say you pointed it at the attacker, is sufficient to cause a criminal to break off an attack. Now, hopefully you're going to be able to fire if it's absolutely necessary to do that, and once in a while it's going to be. But you know, fortunately, the vast majority of the time, criminals think it's better to live and commit a crime another day rather than taking a risk of somebody who's pointing a gun at them at that point. And with regard to women, if if my research convinces me of anything, it's basically two groups of people who benefit the most. I talked before about being people are the most likely victims of violent crime, poor blacks who live in high crime urban areas. But the second group are people who are relatively weaker physically, women and the elderly. You're almost always talking about young males doing the attack. And when a man is attacking a woman, uh, there's a lot larger strength difference that exists there than when a man is attacking another man. And uh, the the presence of a gun represents a much bigger relative change in a woman's ability to go and protect herself simply because of that large strength difference that exists there than it does for a man. So women, women who have concealed carry permits, uh, you find a reduction in harm to women be about three to four times greater than the reduction in harm for men who have concealed carry permits. Absolutely. Great point. And another thing, that attacker's already planned in his mind what he's doing. You don't even know what's happening that day, so they are also have that advantage. I, I love listening to the show. It's great. Um, thank you. Your comments are, are great in your education, and I really hope people uh, listen to this today and and, and get learn from it for sure because I'm all for, but uh, like I said, it's not about, uh, you know, if you are getting one, you know, learn what you're doing, and you'll be more effective in protecting you and your family. Christine, you take care of yourself. Thank you for your call. Thank you now. You bet. You bet. We're up, against, you. we're up against a break. 721-1290 is our number. Cody is waiting to visit with you, Dr. Lott. And several other phone lines are open at 721-1290. We're going to come right back after this. Okay, we are back. 721-1290 is our number. Dr. John Lott uh, with the Crime Prevention Research Center joining us here in the studio because he's based right here in Missoula. He's not traveling around the world lecturing and talking to various legislative uh, bodies. But Cody is waiting on the line uh, to talk with you. So, Cody, good morning. You're on with Dr. Lott. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning. And, and I want to second what one of the other callers said about it. it's It's really great having you in our backyard. So thank oh, you thank for you. getting on and having... This is about the only program we ever, you know, if if you don't have a chance to listen to the news on a regular basis and really get into figures and studies, it's hard to know, it's hard to be educated about Second Amendment issues, to be perfectly honest, because the machine on the left is, it's a big machine. And uh, what I'd like to do, actually, if you don't mind, I get into this conversation pretty regular with my friends and and co-workers and cohorts, but... uh, 
not cohorts, but co-workers. Anyway, I'd like to do, I would, I would like to play devil's advocate a little bit because th- this is stuff that comes up all the time with very generalized uh, accusations. And I know how I would respond. I know what I believe, but I don't know how to counter it with the sure. real thing and re- with, with the real facts and with resources because everyone always says, says the same thing. When I bring up an actual fact, it's, oh, where did you get that? Did you hear that on the Internet? Well, <laughs> first of all, first of all, the Internet's the most amazing source of information ever in, in human existence. So I, I hate the way people use that. It's amazing to me that the way so many people I know use that as as if the Internet is discredited as a source of information. I don't understand that. But, again, to play devil's advocate, I don't understand why you people have to have your guns. The fact of the matter is, if the government would ban guns, it would save lives, especially children's lives. And if they banned all guns and gun manufacturing, it would it would save lives, especially children, and eventually all gun, all, uh, uh, gun, uh, gun violence would end. Right. Can you please, will you please answer, I'll take your answer off the line, but will you please answer that question? Well, you can, you can stay Not only with, with yeah. the actual fact. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, go ahead, stay on, stay on the okay. line. <clears throat> well, I, just the very beginning, I just, before I get to your main question there, I'll just say, you know, Syracuse University, uh, some professors there just did a survey of, re, uh, of reporters across the country. And they found that only 3.5% of reporters are Republicans. And so, you know, it gives you a little bit of an idea how kind of imbalanced the the news media is these days. But, um, uh, you know, you can find all the stuff I'm going to be telling you at our website at crimeresearch.org or in my most recent book, uh, Gun Control Myths. You know, there are a number of places around the world uh, that have either banned all guns or all handguns. If the types of claims that you're making are true, when you ban guns, you should see drops in murder rates. You should see drops in suicides. But you don't see that. Every place in the world that's banned either all guns or all handguns has seen an increase in murder rates, often very large amounts. I mean, Americans are familiar with what happened in Chicago and Washington, D.C. But gun control advocates will go and say, well, those really weren't fair experiments because unless you could go and ban guns in the entire country, people could go and get guns from Maryland or Virginia or from the rest of Illinois or Indiana or Wisconsin. The thing is, you know, it would have been nice if they told us beforehand that it was going to fail, the rule that they had there. But it doesn't really explain why murder rates would go up. It may explain that they didn't go down like they were predicting it would. Criminals could go and get guns from those other places before the ban in Chicago or Washington, D.C. went into effect. But you can look around the world. You can look at island nations that have banned guns, whether it be Jamaica, whether it be the Republic of Ireland or or England and Wales and Scotland. Every single time, you see an increase, even in island nations, let alone other places, uh, you know, and, and the reasons are pretty simple. And that is when you go and you ban guns, it's going to be the most law-abiding good citizens who's going to turn them in, not the criminals. And to the extent that you disarm law-abiding citizens relative to criminals, you're going to make it easier for criminals to go and commit crimes. You can look at Mexico, for example. Since 1972, Mexico has had only one gun store in the country. 
uh, the most powerful gun that you've been able to legally buy in Mexico since 1972 is a, a 22 caliber short round bolt action rifle. You know, that's not the type of gun that drug gangs or drug cartels are using. Uh, what you find is that after they had that very strict gun control law, in effect, the military runs the, the one store. It's very costly to buy guns. You literally have less than one-tenth of one percent of the adult population in Mexico legally licensed to own a gun. And yet the murder rate in Mexico has more than doubled since they've had that law in effect. And in fact, in many recent years, the murder rate in Mexico has been as high as six times higher than the murder rate that we have here in the United States. Uh, Brazil, uh, under Bolsonaro, uh, uh, who was the president right before Lula here, uh, when he was there during his four years, he increased the number of licensed gun owners by like 650%. Uh, Media outlets from the New York Times to the BBC and others around the world were predicting disaster, that murder rates in Brazil were going to go up. In fact, murder rates in Brazil fell by 35% during those four years. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, and you just see this happen time after time after time. Uh, you know, police are important, but police, as we mentioned earlier, virtually always arrive on the crime scene after the crimes occurred. If you go and look at surveys of police in the United States, Police One is the largest private organization of police. You have about 76% of police officers think that private ownership of gun is either extremely or very important in terms of reducing crime. And as far as suicides go, uh, you know, a ban on guns, it can reduce firearm suicides, particularly a ban on handguns, which are the ones most likely used in committing suicide. But uh, the problem is it doesn't change total suicides. People switch into other ways to go and commit suicides. There are lots of different ways for people to go and commit suicides. And so what you need to look at is what happens to total suicides. So when you ban guns, you see no change in total suicides, and you see an increase in murders. And, then, and with that, we're, we're, and, and, we're, uh, we're up against you. Go ahead and make your point that i got to let you go. Go ahead. But, and, Doctor, where did you get that information? The Internet? Now, I'm trying to be funny, but please, will you source? Oh, and I said is to begin with. consolidated source? Yeah, if well, you go, a consolidated source if you go to our website. Information? Right. If you, I, at the very beginning, I mentioned you can go to our website at crimeresearch.org where you can pick up my most recent book, Gun Control Myths, and it has very detailed citations for all the data that's there, the data for the UK, the data for Jamaica, for Ireland. There's sources that you can go and check uh, in all those places uh, to go and, 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 you know, find the original data sources. And with that, Thank we, you we, so much. we are Thank up you. against a break. We're going to come right back. We still have Alan and Ron that want to uh, visit with Dr. Lott. Give us a call. 721-1290 is our number. 1-800-568-5309. Or, of course, the KGVO app. Back after this. Hello, this is Pastor. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? 
It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We are back. This is Talkback. We're thrilled to have Dr. John Lott with us, uh, president and founder of the Crime Prevention Research Center, located right here in Missoula, from where like, he travels like about over. six minutes from here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so let's uh, get right back to the phones and say good morning to Alan. Alan, thanks for holding. Go ahead, please. Well, and good morning, uh, Dr. Lott. Thank you for everything you do. Um, uh, okay, uh, I am a concealed carry handgun advocate. I every year, both my wife and I, we we get retested. Uh-huh. And you don't you don't need that, but we still do right. because you cannot get educated enough. And like the the last caller, it's like my God, how ignorant people are. I have friends that I have breakfast. Well, he, with. he was playing the devil's uh, you know advocate, just so you know. No, it yeah. wasn't. He wanted to know how to respond oh, well, to other people. It wasn't he? Wasn't saying what his own views were. Yeah. He wanted help on oh, on how to respond. Okay. And, go ahead. Well, and people need to know that you know. Uh, and there's a number of people that I have breakfast with a couple days a week, and I say, you know what? I'll pay for you to go and take a concealed carry right. course. And they said, well, I'm not going to conceal carry. It's like, no, it's the education. And, you know, when I hear, let's take guns out of schools, you know, uh, every school in Montana should get back to teaching gun safety. Right. You know, that that's something that's so missing right now. And you have these people that honestly believe that uh, if we uh cancel all the guns uh, the crime is going to go away it's like where are the soft targets they're mm. in the schools where you know the in iowa if i was driving by it took seven minutes seven, for the police right. to show up no it's and, you a know lot what? of lives if, can be lost in seven dri- minutes exactly and if i was driving by the way i'm training and what i have vowed to I would have, boy, if I was right there, boom, stop by and run to it. And so many, you know, you've heard. If it, you heard it, uh, if you heard. But, yeah, look, I mean, that's the benefit yeah. of having a teacher there, a staff member there who's caring. I mean, would you rather have a sign in front of the school that says this school is a gun-free zone or one that says warning, select teachers and staff for caring? The thing is. You know, here we have about 10% of Montanans have a license to carry. You go to a restaurant, you go to a movie theater, you go to a mall. You know, there's very likely somebody nearby who's carrying, but you would never know whether somebody's carrying there or not. And, you know, so you take something like the Covenant School shooting uh, from last year in Nashville. Uh, Tennessee has a gun-free school zone law that it's if you yeah. t- took a gun onto school property, you go to jail for six years. 
That's a huge penalty for you or I. That our lives would be completely yeah. changed. But let's say you're the murderer there who killed six people. And let's say the murderer had lived. Yeah. And they're going to be facing six life sentences or six death penalties. Do you think, boy, you know, I can live with those six life sentences, but you add another six years, you take six years away from my seventh life, that will keep me from going and committing the crime there. And the point is, it's not a real penalty for them. And so all you've done, uh, you know, accidentally, because I understand that people, you know, really think that they're being helpful here. What they've actually done is ensure that it's only the criminal, only the murderer who's going to be the one who's armed because it represents a real penalty for the law-abiding citizens. And so it it actually is a magnet for these bad people to do their attacks. Alan, go ahead. And and how do you educate the common person on the street? They they just don't understand that. It's like, oh, I'm I'm going like here in Missoula. I'm going into a city council meeting. I and uh, I'm not carrying a gun. Well, you know what? Guess what? If a bad guy comes in there carrying a gun, uh, is the law going to stop him? I don't think so. Well, there is there there, there, I, there, I there, rather, there is an armed officer in uh, in the city council chamber. Just so you know, I I know that, but. Well, one of the issues about having somebody in uniform, and we're just talking about this off the air, and that is, uh, you know, the question I often ask people is, do you think air marshals should be in uniform? And and I assume (laughs) people would say that would be crazy. And why don't you want air marshals in uniform? Because you give the terrorists there a real tactical advantage. They know who it is that they have to worry about. And the same thing is true whether you're talking about a police officer in a city council office or in a school. You know, these killers can either wait for the person who's in uniform to leave the area before they attack, or they can move on to another target themselves. Or if they're going to take out somebody, if the officer who's in uniform is the only person who's armed, if they take him out, then they essentially have free reign to go after other people that are there. And with that, we're up against a break. We're going to come right back. The phone lines are filling up now in the last 20 minutes with Dr. Lott. That's good. People are waking up. You bet. Ron, Joe, Elena, and Ted are all waiting to visit with you, Dr. Lott. We're coming right back. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. Uh, we are we are getting very, very busy here with Dr. John Lott. Everybody wants to talk with him. So let's get right back to the phone. Say good morning to Ron. Ron, thanks for holding. Go ahead, please. Yeah, uh, uh, Ron and Peter, uh, Dr. Lott, I know you've done a lot of uh, statistical analysis and you've got a lot of data on the subject, so I thought you would be the person I might ask this question to. Sure. Um, now, what what, is, what kind of data or statistics do you have on, uh, like, uh, video games' role in all this? Uh you know, shootings we've been seeing and whatnot. Is there any any correlation there? Well, it's really hard to tease out something like that uh, because essentially you have the whole country is exposed to uh, video games at the same time. You know, one of the advantages that you have, you know, most of the empirical work on crime is done using U.S. data uh, around the world. And the reason is, is because we have... 51 different laboratories. If different places pass different laws in different years, you can begin to disentangle uh, different factors that could be there. You can't have 
you can't control for more factors that might explain changes in crime rates than you have experiments that are occurring. And if you really only have one experiment, so like you have video games being released and people all across the country are using it, uh, it's pretty difficult to go and single out the role that that has in problems versus others. Now, can I believe that it can have a problem? Yeah, sure. I have no problem thinking that that could be the case. But you're going to find it very difficult in order to uh, prove that. I'll give you a related example. Uh, everybody knows what Miranda is. You know, the Miranda rights that criminals are, are read. Uh, it's from a 1963 Supreme Court decision. The thing is, uh, it affected all the country at the same time. Now, a lot of legal experts will say that Miranda made it more difficult to go and convict criminals. Uh, and so that was partly responsible for the big increase we saw in violent crime in the 1960s. Is that possible? Yeah, sure, it's possible. But the thing is, there were like three other Supreme Court decisions that dealt with crime issues that same term. You can't even disentangle which one of the, you know, whether it's Miranda or whether it's the other uh, Supreme Court decisions, let alone everything else that was changing during the 1960s because you only have that one experiment. So you can't disentangle all the different possible causes. If you had some states that the Miranda decision affected, uh, maybe some states already had those rules in effect, then you could go and see, did the crime rates fall arise in the states that were now adopting Miranda relative to the other ones that weren't changing their rules. But you don't have that. And unfortunately, with the uh, with the video games and violence in the media and things like that, uh, you have the same problem. Yeah, I noticed there's been, you know, before they came out, there wasn't hardly anything like that except that Texas Tower shooting, you know, back in the... 60s early 60s right and uh there wasn't anything like that going on and people had you know everybody in the neighborhood practically had guns right uh back then and uh since the rise of this electronic uh stimulation i guess you call it well, there have been lots of other uh, things that have changed, too. So, for example, in the mid-'90s, you had the uh, gun f Federal Gun-Free School Zone Act that was there. The school shootings that we've seen have pretty much occurred after that. Uh, now, again, you know, that's something that affected the whole country, but there are differences across the country. So, for example, there are 20 states, including Montana, that allows teachers and staff to carry, but it you know varies by state, you know, whether you have a school superintendent or the school board or individual schools can make that decision. And in Utah and New Hampshire, any teacher that has a concealed carry permit can carry it. You know, individual schools don't even have the ability to stop them from doing it. You only have a few schools in Montana that have uh, allowed teachers and staff to carry. Unfortunately, the local schools around here in Missoula aren't in that group. Uh, but you know, anyway, you have thousands of schools that allow teachers and staff to carry. And if you look over the last 20 years, all the attacks where anybody's been wounded or killed at a school, every single one has occurred in schools where teachers and staff aren't allowed to carry. And so that kind of gets back to the question that we asked earlier. Would you rather have a school 
there's a sign in front that says the school is a gun-free zone. Or would you rather have one that warns potential attackers that somebody there might stop them? Let's get another call in before we have to take a break. Joe, Joe, thanks for holding. You're on with Dr. Lott. Go ahead, please. Yeah, we're very lucky to have Dr. Lott in Missoula. Um, so uh, I was going to talk about uh, a concept of ignorance, which came up in a, a previous caller. And, and there's been talk about willful ignorance, which is kind of, I don't know if you can really use that because if you're really ignorant, you're, you're not intentionally ignorant. You're just ignorant. But I, I call it malicious ignorance because the intent, there's an intent to ignore facts to harm your opponent or your, whoever you're debating with. And, you know, there was a, con, there was a caller that, uh, said that Mirdat Kia was like a broken record. And, you know, the broken records are at our border for the last three months. Every month, the record is broken again and again. And then... For the last three years. Broken re- yeah, and we have broken records on the number of uh, suspected terrorists crossing our border. So my question for you is, and I asked Mirdat Kia about that, and they were very concerned about the... Uh, the potential for uh, terrorist acts and that possibly the uh, Mexican cartels could be taking money from foreign agents to bring in Uzbeki terrorists or terrorists from other parts of the world. And if you have any knowledge on that, I'd be very curious to uh, tell you what. Thanks for the call. Tell you what, we're going to take a one minute timeout. I want to give uh, Dr. Lott plenty of time to answer that before I break in for a break. We're going to come right back. We still have lots of callers. We probably won't get you all in. We'll do the best we can. Dr. John Lott here with us for another eight minutes. Stay with us. Okay, we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. And uh, let's just move along and get Elena. Elena is up next. Elena, good morning. You're on Talkback. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Let's see if I can make this real quick. First of all, thank you, John, for standing up for unalienable rights. That being said, there's a lot of talk again about a a convention of states. I could look it up on your website, but it's especially this week they've been talking about it. Where do you stand on that? And also, I understand that uh, California governor wants to add the right to safety amendment supposedly would preserve the integrity of the Second Amendment. These states, the blue states, are going nuts with this, and it scares me. So where do you stand on a con-con? Look, I mean, my own belief is that the Bill of Rights were pretty clearly written and were great to begin with. Uh, It's hard for me to believe that it be improved on. Um, You know, the problem that you face is that you have a lot of people in the courts who really don't care what's written there. You know, they believe in what they call a living constitution where they kind of uh, can kind of determine for themselves what they they want it to mean. And so you can go and write another amendment to the constitution. You can rewrite parts of it. Uh, but, you know, if you are going to have the same types of judges there, uh, they'll get, find a way around that. And so... Uh, you know, I think if you're going to fix it, the most direct way of fixing it is worrying about who is president, worrying about who are the senators. Uh, you know, 
uh, who's you know who's uh, confirming the center the judges that you have there on the courts. That's going to be the most important factor that are there. As far as uh, uh, Newsom's proposed constitutional amendment, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to get very far with it. I think it was a political thing, but. Uh, you know, if you actually read it, it would pretty much allow them to pass any gun control law that they want. And, you know, you you are in a situation right now where uh, liberal Democratic judges will accept or want to accept uh, any gun control law that gets put forward. We were talking about this earlier here. You look at just this new California law, which effectively prevents people from being able to go and carry permanent concealed handguns any place outside their home, basically. And uh, uh, the, the Republican judges uh, have an injunction that they want against it. The Democratic judges uh, want it to go into effect. And so uh, at the end of this year, Democrats are going to control about two-thirds of the circuit and district court judges. If, uh, if uh, Democrats win the presidency by the end of the next term, they'll probably control something around 80% of the federal judges that are there. And as I mentioned before, at the end of the next administration, Clarence Thomas will be 80 and Sam Alito will be 78. You lose one or both of those, uh, you're going to have a very different Supreme Court than you have right now. And whoever is president and is going to be able to replace them is going to have a big impact on all the issues that you're talking about. I want to thank you, John, because maybe you've convinced some of these Montanans <laughs> who think that a COS is the best thing going. Right. Thank you, and Happy New Year. Thanks for the call. Ted is up next. Ted, good morning. Thanks for holding. You're on Talk Back. We have about four minutes. Go ahead, sir. Good morning. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with the future, and I predict the future, and I'm never wrong. Well, and that's pretty I good. Can we talk future. after the show? Because <laughs> if you have some stock yeah. picks, I'd appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> What I predict is the future of guns is that they're going to be obsolete one day. Not, I don't know the date. I just predict that it will happen eventually. And I'm, I'm just wondering where you think that guns will go. Uh, electromagnetic rail guns, maybe artificial intelligence, um, uh, mounted guns like uh, for your own personal security where it'll identify a threat and be able to eliminate it without you ever pulling the trigger. I think it'll be that one day it won't be so bad if, if they ban them because we're going to have lasers. We're going to have something that they won't be able to. So I'm just wondering where you think All the future right. is going. Thank All you right. very much for Th the call. Thanks for the call. We have about uh, two and a half minutes, Dr. Lott. Go ahead. Well, I mean, whether it's a rail gun or a regular gun, I'm not really sure practically what the difference is there uh, in terms of uh, people being able to go and protect themselves. Uh, you know, maybe artificial intelligence, who knows what's going to be happening there, but you're still going to have a gun uh, from the way you're talking about it, uh, Defendium. And, uh, you know, I, my guess is it's going to become harder and harder uh, for government to control gun ownership. Uh, we had a caller earlier mention 3D printing, for example. Uh, but, you know, even even without 3D printing, uh, you look at places around the world that have tried to ban guns, uh, whether it be Chicago and Washington, D.C., or countries like Mexico effectively doing it. And, you know, people find ways around it. Uh, 
you know, it's not like a drug gang can go to the police and say this other gang stole our drugs. Can you help us get them back? They set up their own little militaries. And just as they bring in illegal drugs, I mean, I don't know, maybe you think we've been particularly successful in stopping uh, drug gangs from getting drugs to go and sell. Uh, But I would argue that they haven't been. And, you know, why do you think they'll be any more successful in stopping them from getting the weapons that they need to protect that extremely valuable property that they have? Well, Dr. Lott, uh, we're, we're just about up against the, the I, I wish we could get more calls in, but we can't. I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, sorry about that. But tell us uh, information about, about uh, the Crime Prevention Research, Research Center and uh, what we can find out and where to go and all that. Sure, thanks. And about some of your books, too. Right. Well, um, our website is crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. And uh, you can go there and you can find my email address and you can email me if you have questions. I'm always happy to uh, answer people's questions. You can sign up for our email blast. We send out a blast once every two weeks that kind of shows the research that we've been working on uh, to help educate it. And you can share it with others. It doesn't do us any good to go and do this research if uh, people don't uh, you know, take advantage of it and, and, and read it. Um, I have 10 books. Uh, my most recent book is uh, Gun Control Myths, um, and it goes through 45 different myths. In fact, several of the ones that we've talked about today are, are talked about there. So, you know, and, and my books as well as the website have links to the underlying data so people can check these things out themselves. Nobody needs to take my word for any of the stuff. And that's, that's the thing I really appreciate about, about uh, what you do is that you have uh, volumes and volumes of proof uh, and research to back up your, your conclusions. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, just telling you my opinion doesn't do much good. <laughs> so. Dr. Dr. Law, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. We look forward to your next visit. I'm glad you're here. You bet. Thanks. Appreciate it. And we're glad we're so close. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Nick, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program, sir? Uh, we're going to have a long, uh, long segment of open phones for the first hour and a half. And then at 930, we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Taryn Warris to chat about uh, bariatric weight loss surgery from a community medical center. All right. So, yeah, we, we meet with them once a month. And so that's going to be a great visit uh, coming up tomorrow. Get out there and remember, cold weather is coming. So prepare yourself, prepare your home, prepare your kids and your animals. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 with Ace on Montana Morning.